Hello, y'all, and welcome to the first episode of Roster Reconstruction. I am so pumped to really be kicking this podcast off here with y'all. Um, diving into, like the trailer said, everything about roster construction through trades, free agency, the draft, and all of the concepts and themes that can come out of that with some very interesting discussions. And we actually start off with the one here today. I have my good friends Josh Earl and Garrett Bouguet on to join me as we dive into the NBA's organizations, the front offices, and we start to rank them. Uh, this will be part of a multi-part series, uh, well, three parts, so yeah, that does count as multi, right? Anyway, um, we start with 30 through 21, then we'll do 21 to, or we'll do 20 to 11, and then we'll finish with 10 to 1, and we each have our own different um set of parameters as to how we nominate these teams and so it does yield some interesting discussion uh some definitely passion discussion and also some branches into how a team is constructed whether a team that won a championship uh in the last three years but their team construction is questionable uh deserves having them in the back half of the nba franchises or whether a team that has you know been on a very crappy winning trajectory but have a clear direction whether that should boost uh, a team's uh, overall placement in terms of franchises and how they are organized from their scouting department or their coaching whatever the case may be so this was a really fun discussion definitely goes long we're just shy of two hours here so you're going to be in for a long one definitely sit back relax and enjoy the inaugural episode of the roster reconstruction podcast thanks for rocking with me Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Roster Reconstruction Podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. And I am joined today, and we're just going to get right to it, by two of my best friends in hoops, two of my best friends, period. I have both Gary Bouguet and Josh Earl here with me. You can follow both on Twitter, at Josh, at 2RedJEarl, right? Yes, nailed it. And then Garrett on Twitter, at Garrett Bouguet. G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. Uh, gentlemen, I'm pumped to kind of get into this, but but first, how are y'all doing tonight? I'm, I'm tired. Change, change, changing a lot of diapers today and working on prep for this in-between naps. <laughs> like, <laughs> the struggle is so I'm real. Little, I'm sorry. I'm a little burnt out, uh, to be honest. Yeah. I'm sorry, Josh. <laughs> Yeah. Bro, it's the greatest thing ever. So uh. that's great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm also tired for very different reasons than than Josh. I uh, just got back from a trip from Chicago where I was quite sleep deprived. So slowly, slowly recovering from that. But uh, yeah, doing well. Wow, I feel bad. I, I, I'm tired too, but I don't actually have a real reason as to why. <laughs> um, that's fun. You know what? Actually, I'm going to say late night Laker celebration last night. We're at 500 for the first time all year. Uh, although that might change as we're recording because the Pelicans might get a win today. But, yeah, we are here. Um, as Josh said, uh, you know, burn the candle both ends. But one of those ends was for us. We are taking on a pretty interesting undertaking, pretty tremendous undertaking, if you ask me. We are ranking all 30 NBA organizations. Um, and we are doing it. We each have our own kind of deviation, deviation from each other in the categories which we're doing it. But it's really the front office base, and that can include coaching traffics, trades over the last couple of years, but we're taking all that consideration and ranking them. And yes, we are not doing a massive three-hour pod on every single team. We're going to break into chunks. Um, so we're going to start with the 10 worst. This is 30 to 21 on this episode. Come back, 
next one and we'll have you know the middle tier and then we'll have the top 10 and you know keep track of those have interesting dialogue and kind of talk about again in roster construction and team construction however we look at it what can we kind of take away in terms of lessons from these squads why they performed or in this case drastically underperformed and uh, agree or disagree on some of our entries so it's gonna be fun i'm very excited uh you know we've all spent some time really kind of assembling this list i have two of the best when it comes to, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna brag right now josh and garrett if you need two people to get in the weeds on any nba topic like these are gentlemen and so this is gonna be exciting um but we're gonna we're gonna work it around let's uh i guess we'll throw it to, throw it to josh give it to garrett and go back to me uh let's start with the number 30 team and let's just get right into it josh take it away it's tough and i i don't want to sound overly negative right away but it was i I think the bottom third is actually the toughest because there's a lot of not particularly good uh, i'll say not particularly positive uh front offices and organizations in the league right now Mm -hmm. um so so it's kind of tough there are a couple of candidates for it um I had to ultimately go, though, with, um, and I'm sorry, Corbin, uh, Charlotte. Uh, I just feel, <laughs> everybody knows Corbin's a big Terry Rosier guy. Um, but I, I just feel like that front office has the worst current seating in, in, in everything. Uh, they don't have... Um, much talent outside of Lamelo and Mark Williams as a rookie. Um, a lot of their first round picks haven't really done anything. Um, like Kai Jones is not doing anything. Book Knight is like, given where he was drafted, has really not produced. Um, on top of it, it's clear that they're trying to financially turn off the faucet uh while mj tries to sell the the team um that they, they they've hit on the mellow i'll give them that but how much credit do you really give to a team that's picking third and uh y- you know the mellow sitting there and there's you know uh I, I have to go with charlotte as as the worst front office at the moment it does hurt a little bit. Um, we're going to hope that Garrett doesn't share the same um, team, but if so, we're going to start this conversation immediately. But I make excellent points, Josh. I can't refute a single thing you said. I just have feelings, I guess. <laughs> um, but but that's that's very true. Garrett, uh, where do you have your, your two? I think what we can probably do kind of moving forward, let's just like all throw out our teams and then we'll discuss each one and kind of go from there. Um, but yeah, like Garrett, let's get yours and we'll do that for the next one. So yeah, I had Charlotte twenty-eight on my uh, my personal list, and okay. uh, so my my number thirty is the Washington Wizards. I run so, that was also uh, mine. Yeah. Uh, you know, we um, Corbin, you mentioned at the beginning that we all sort of did some some different things to come up with our rankings, and basically what I did is I tried to rank all of the coaches, tried to rank all of the general managers, and then all of the owners, and sort of combine those averages to then determine the organization rankings and uh you know when you when you look at the washington wizards i think the the ownership group there is 
about as bad as it gets. You know, they've consistently been of the mindset that, like, let's try to fight for the eighth seed. Let's try to fight for the eighth seed every single season. Their their ambition is not high enough, and they don't realize that, like, you know, you need to uh, you need to you know get out of that sort of middle purgatory area to to get anywhere. And you know the it, it's also difficult at times to judge the general managers of these teams you know Tommy Shepard I think he's a he's a very intelligent guy but a lot of these guys are also pressured to make moves based on what the ownership expects of them and uh, you know there are there are times where guys make these win now moves and like where you're yeah you're trying to get to 35 to 40 wins when in reality that shouldn't be the strategy at all so it that's that's something that we have to we have to talk about and consider when you're when you're ranking these teams is or you know general managers in in particular is that the ownership can affect the 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 general manager the general manager can affect the coaches and and vice versa it's all it's all combined so when you look at all three factors uh, you know Wes Unsell Jr. he's he's done a solid job but it, you know the NBA has a ton of really good coaches. And so I would still rank him towards the bottom of the league in that respect as well. So there's not a ton to like from, from Washington. And that's why I've got them dead last. I also had them in the same situation. I think we can kind of talk about Charlotte and Washington. Now we've kind of opened the door because for me, yes, Charlotte's been worse. Right. But I feel like, and it's interesting because Charlotte's been bad. I mean, the, the way that they, I mean, you're right. Like they did, they had a good spot in LaMelo in terms of drafting LaMelo, right? Um, and on the one hand, I, I'm torn. Because on the one hand, I feel like, yes, they shouldn't be given that much credit for it. I mean, it was it was third overall pick. Um, but let's remember, you know, uh, the first overall pick and the second outside Anthony Edwards, who I still think was great, number two is James Wiseman, who I think is still a very serviceable NBA player um, and has certainly been performing in Detroit, but was not a hit for the team that originally drafted him. You know what I mean? So I definitely think that for me, Washington was more of – an issue because of what Garrett said, like the lack of direction. I mean, right now, if you look at where they stand, they're looking to sign. Um, they're they're well underneath the like they're not they're more than likely not making the play in tournament, right? Which is the the ceiling is like the floor for that, right? Like you, that that's just something that you would hope a team with three players, you know, in in their late twenties um, that are sub all star, but like in that conversation field in Bradley Beal, in um, Kyle Kuzma, in um, Christoph Porzingis, that you would at least be at that level, but you're not going to be there. Fine, uh, but at the same time, uh, you have you have two players that are you're looking to hopefully bring back after having a suboptimal season. Um, in terms of Christoph Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma, and, and, and for big money, I might add, for players who are I'm not saying they're injury risk, although Christoph Porzingis did have have the healthiest year he's had in a couple of years now. But both those guys are going to be a multi-year extension for a lot of money. When you already are giving Bradley Beal not only uh, just a ton um, to be a franchise guy, which is a whole another conversation in itself, but also no trade clause as well, which just screams 2015 Knicks Carmelo Anthony um, to me, uh, just in terms of how messy that could be uh, in the fallout. In the fallout could be right now. We don't know because not the Woods have been hitting on the draft picks either. So if they fall, let's say they get the ninth pick this year, right? Who's to say – that they are going to get a solid selection with that pick. We've seen them swing and miss on other picks in that same range. And when I say swing and miss, I don't mean like, you know, they're not serviceable NBA players, but they're not players that are 
the stars they could have had or players that could have been the hits that other teams got after they went up to draft. And I think we've seen that before. I mean, if you look at their draft picks, uh, well, I mean, Donnie Davis, who I'm still a believer in, but that hasn't panned out so far. Um, Corey Kispert, serviceable three-point shooter, not great. Uh, Denny Avdija, okay. Say it again for me. Denny Avdija. Avdija. Thank you. I'm only able to say his name correctly once every three times, and it's so frustrating because I, <laughs> I, it just annoys me. It's like Moses Moody. Um, I'll be better, but you hey, know, hey, that's cool. It's a one point per possession from deep. So, and there you go. <laughs> so there that is. I, I didn't get that either. But like, I just don't. I feel like the Woods have been in a spot where they're trying to contend for what, at the very least, a playing spot. That's what it seemed like the last three years, and they seem content to just keep on rolling that ball down, and so. That's why I have them 30th. Um, but let's let's bounce it back over. Well, I know Garrett and, and Josh both have points just because I definitely think it's interesting in terms of is it good to have a team that just sucks and at least you know where they stand? Or a team is like, eh, we are maybe here, but we're always here, but we're maybe here. That that's and there's another team coming up that I think is in that conversation too. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, Washington's very low on my list as well, but I, I do think that it's worse to just be dreadful uh, and not have the type of hope that a dreadful team usually has, right? Because, like, the type of hope is, like, if Charlotte doesn't get one of the top two picks, right, (laughs) do you trust Charlotte's front office to actually make the right selection at number three? So that's a good question. it's like, I don't know if I do. I mean, it's tricky. They haven't been in that position enough for me to make that call, though. You know what I mean? Like, in the last couple of years, I mean, I feel like lamelo has been their highest draft pick in, I'm trying to think. It's weird, because I get you. And I, based off of Mitch Cupcake in the front office, um, I can't say that I do. But it's almost like, I don't, I definitely know for a fact. That I don't trust Washington's front office when it comes to drafting. Yeah, like, that's I, a, that, I, was, I, that was my response. I don't trust Washington picking at ten, as evidenced by Johnny Davis, who I am very, very low on. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, Mark Williams, I would argue, was you know, you, you could you could say, well, they should have they should have just Durin. stayed and taken Jalen Duran. Um, but like at fifteen, I think Mark Williams is a solid pick. He's shown some some things. He's got some athleticism, some defensive ability. So, uh, you know, it's it's picking between two pretty bad front offices, honestly. But I feel like I have a little more faith in Charlotte to to pick the right player and in, in Charlotte's staff than I do Washington. But you know, again, we were talking about Washington's uh, sort of lack of ambition. Um, or sorry. Yeah. And Charlotte also has that same lack of ambition. Like when I was ranking the owners, Michael Jordan ranked 30th for that exact reason. Uh, so, you know, both of these teams have similar issues and why they, they haven't had a lot of success. So, and, and yeah, as, as Josh stated, it's low on his list. And, uh, you know, both of these teams I think are, are low on all of our lists. So it's, yeah, uh, I, I will ball. say if we did this, at the like during the off season after like the the wizards give Porzingis and Kuzma massive deals they would definitely be dead last the fact that they technically haven't done that just yet allows Charlotte to sneak in under them um but but the funny thing is like maybe Charlotte winds up getting the first pick they get Wibanyama you pair him with 
you know, LaMelo, and all of a sudden the Hornets look way, way, way better than they have any right to look. That's true. That's true. I think it's interesting that we start with these two teams in that same type of tier area because it represents kind of – they're both in the bottom, but for kind of different reasons, but they also have the same through lines that you'd expect for teams that aren't, you know, near any top of organizational ranking. So I definitely agree with you both there. Um, so, yeah, let's throw out our next – our 28th team. Um, I mean, I think we discussed one of them. Um, or when we, we did our 30th team. I'm sorry, 29th team, rather. Um, my 29th team. Your 29th team. So. Oh, so we kind of come. Okay, so now we're yeah, on yeah, the 28th. Yeah. yeah, let's bring in the 28th. I, I can do. I can do my 29. Yeah. Oh, you guys. Yes, yes. I forgot we got mixed up. Yes, Gary, go please. Uh, the Houston Rockets. Ooh. Okay. Okay. They've had like the. Uh, they've had their. It looks like they're potentially going to have the worst record in the NBA for the third consecutive year. Um, I. Uh, I think Stephen Silas is. One of the few guys in the NBA that I don't think deserves to keep his job in, in terms of the, the coaching profession. I think for the va- vast majority of guys, I think they've done enough to at least maintain their job for another season or at least the start of next season. But he would be one that I would let go. Um, you know, Tillman Fertitta as their owner is just an absolute mess of a human being. Uh, there's there's just uh, there's, there's not a ton. <laughs> there's not a ton to like there in Houston. Uh, is it too early to say Houston? We have a problem. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm gonna be a little spicy here. Um, I have Houston next, so I guess we can definitely talk about them. I have Portland 28. I knew it. I knew you. <laughs> I have Portland 28 for much of the you same. 29. I mean Portland 29th, rather. Sorry. No, no, my fault. No, no. I had Washington. I'm sorry. I'm throwing. I'm jumping the gun. I had Washington 30th, Charlotte 29th. Ah, okay, okay. So, so we talk, that's what I meant. We talked about my team. Okay, okay. My bad. So yeah. I'm throwing another team in this mix. So let's just, we got four now between, you know, three put away. It's Portland and then I, um, Houston. I put Portland in for much of the same reason that Washington's there. Um, I just figured that Portland did do a decent job. I definitely thought the Shaden uh, Sharp selection was really nice. Um, I think they've had. Like, that was a, a, a hit on drafting that you didn't get with Washington. I still think there's hope in Keon Johnson. I love the uh, Anthony Simons both selection and the development of him. So, like, they've had a few more hits in the draft category than Washington has. Um, so that's why I'm a little higher on them. But with that being said, just a fundamental misunderstanding of how to surround their star with, like, the requisite talent to compete, uh, if that is indeed the goal. Uh, so just, uh, a roster mismanagement, if you will, if you think that your roster head to head can stand against these other teams. Uh, coaching, Chauncey Billups, do I need to say any more about that? Not really. Uh, Joe Cronin, I think, has just been – I think I share Garrett's feelings about Steven Silas toward Joe Cronin as the GM. Not saying Neil O'Shea was better, but I definitely don't think Joe Cronin's done anything more than moving deck chairs, um, which is fine if – actually, I don't think it's fine. So <laughs> that's why I have <laughs> – <laughs> That's why I have them 20, uh, 28. I just feel like if you have a guy like Damian Lillard who's saying he wants to be on this team and he wants to, you know, compete for, um, you know, the playoffs, or, or, that's literally what he's saying, compete for the playoffs, wants to win a ring, but he's complete for the playoffs. You had a guy who you traded, by the way, I mean, Josh Hart saying that we aren't, you know, trying to tank for Victor, whatever his name is. And guess what? As it turns out, you most definitely are. Um, and then you're shutting down Damian Lillard after the career season he's had. Um, 
10 games before the season's over because you were so comfortably out of position to make the playoffs. Like, not even the playoffs, to play in. All of that, to me, was just a damning indictment against their team, and I couldn't put them there. Houston, uh, I-, I like their drafting a little bit better. I think that's what it is. I think their coaching's a mess. I definitely think that they're um, – I-, I wish – I just don't think – I think Steven Silas is a good coach. I just don't think – I don't think he's a good coach. I think he has promise. I just don't think it's with this roster. That's a, probably a better way of putting it. Um, and, yeah, Gary, I'm going to throw it to you, but that's why if Houston were a little bit better, I just liked their such a little bit more. And I knew that, okay, they're – you could say you can look at the bare minimum and say they're acquiring draft picks, which they've done with their trade James Harden and all the stuff there. They're bringing young players. You definitely would hope that this timeline will move a little bit faster in terms of actually trying to win something. But you could just I could excuse it as a longer uh, phase, a longer stay in the rebuilding phase. Whereas with Portland, I can't really justify whatever they're doing. And so that's why I have them ranked where I do. So, yeah, we're through my uh, number 27 team. I had the Blazers at 27. So I had Washington at 30, Houston 29, Charlotte 28, Portland 27. And I just wanted to put uh, push back a little bit against Joe Cronin because he was actually, out of all three factors that I considered ownership, management, and coaching, he was the highest ranked part of the Blazers uh, element. And, you know, I do agree that you could say, well, you know, they, he, he made a lot of moves and they didn't really, uh, you know, produce many results. I will say, though, that they're about the same level team, but a lot cheaper now. So that is something. Um, and also, you know, he was not the one uh, uh, that uh, was responsible for hiring Billups, who I think should, is another one of the coaches that should be fired. Um, so, you know, as you said, I think Shaden Sharp has has some pretty good potential to be a pretty good pick. And unlike some of these other teams, he's been able to um, fully convince ownership and, and the coaching staff to go into tank mode when their season is effectively kind of uh, kind of over. And uh, they, they were able to get the seventh pick last year out of it. And, uh, you know, they might be able to do something similar again this year. So, you know, not saying that Joe Cronin, you know, he doesn't have a, a, a large track record to suggest um, that he's really good, but I just want to push back to suggest that, you know, he might be a little bit better than uh, the very bottom of that list of, of general managers in the league currently. That's fair. That's fair, definitely. Uh, Josh, what do you think about Portland, where you have them? Um, are they anywhere in this same kind of conversation? Any pushback? Let's get your thoughts on this. Yeah, questions. yeah, they're – they're 27th for me, um, and it, it's tough because I grew up in Oregon. Uh, uh, but I, I think, you know, hitting on Sharp uh, ha- has turned out well, but I still think it was a highly risky uh, swing to take given he played no college ball whatsoever, was basically off for an entire year. Um, and, and they definitely have been trying to maintain – financial flexibility but it still hasn't helped because dame is on such a big contract that you you even if you have financial flexibility you can't build out a a top eight around him uh you can top out at about a a starting five maybe a sixth man uh but and this was what happened with portland they started off the season really well the second one of their top like six players got injured nosedive um and i don't see a realistic way for them to actually get back into the playoff race next season um 
Yeah. I agree. I think they sound pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's telling that we're all in the same spot. I mean, they've had, obviously, at least a few more hits, or at least uh, their glory days were sooner than some of these other squads are talking about now. But, yeah, I just – I don't know. Like, I agree with you. I think that uh, – and that's something to play in, too, like their long-term future, right? Like, Houston, if – if okay, let me ask you about this. If Houston, let's say they luck into Wimbanyama, right? Um, are y'all higher on Houston's front office? Not necessarily, no. you nope. know, because they like you know it's not about the talent. It's about I'm not. Game. I'm not higher on anyone for selecting Wemby number one because it's just the obvious pick to make. That's like, and I'm sorry because I, I do actually respect the hell out of this guy. I don't give Sam Presti credit for taking Kevin Durant second in 2007 when he just had to take whomever the Blazers didn't select. Like you don't get credit for that. David Griffin doesn't get credit for drafting Zion Williamson number one. <laughs> like, like, you don't get credit when, like, the the multiple choice question has one response and you just have to bubble that in. Like, no. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could always choose not to answer. No, I'm kidding. No, yeah. I agree. I agree. No, you're, no. <laughs> you're definitely right. What do you say? Uh, I, I just wanted to mention, I haven't mentioned my 28th pick yet. Um, oh, which was Detroit. I think Detroit is really, really bad. Um, they they have financial flexibility. Uh, they have a little bit of very small draft uh, capital surplus. Um, but they really don't seem to understand team construction because they are just completely thirsty for every forward and big uh, that they can get their hands on. Uh, so Troy Weaver's traded for Marvin Bagley Jr., Bojan Bogdanovich, James Wiseman, tried trading for Bull Bull, traded for Jeremy Grant. Um, and on top of it, he's drafted Isaiah Stewart and, and Jalen Duren. <laughs> um, he clearly appreciates size and everything, but especially in today's NBA, outside of Bogdanovich uh, and, and somewhat Jeremy Grant, none of those guys can really play together in a relatively well-spaced lineup, um, which really hampers your lineup flexibility and really puts your coach in a tough position. Um, on top of it, the, you know, Isaiah Stewart, uh, Jay. Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran have been really good. Cunningham, I don't think has lived up to what everyone kind of expected. Um, not that he's been bad, but he also hasn't been particularly good either. Uh, Killian Hayes has been one of the worst offensive players in the NBA his entire career so far. Um, I, I just feel like they haven't really hit very consistently. They haven't, uh, to use baseball parlance, they haven't gotten on – uh, you know, on base much, period, when it comes to the draft, free agency, um, and in free agency, they've basically done nothing, um, and, and trades. Like, I, I just think they're, they're a really poorly run franchise at the moment. I mean, I, I agree with, with most of what you're saying. I had them 24th, so a few spots higher, but, um, and yes, like your, 
your confusion and frustration over them trying to have like 18 bigs on their roster, they're, they're going to like uh, uh, appeal the NBA to get more roster spots to, to add a couple more centers next season. Um, it's, it's really confusing, but I will say that like uh, some of the, some of the picks they've made, like Isaiah Stewart, what was he at like 19 or something like that? That's, that's a good selection. He's a quality player at that spot. I think Duran where they got him quality selection. Um, you know, Jaden Ivey, I think is going to be, uh, is competing for first team all rookie. Uh, I, I agree about your concern about Cade Cunningham, but I still think it's very early on him. And I think he's got, he still has a chance to be pretty good. And you could almost argue that the, the issues with the roster construction has made it harder for Cade Cunningham to succeed. And if they can ever figure that out, then we might get to see the Cade Cunningham that, a lot of people, I think he was a pr- pretty much the consensus number one pick or close to it in that draft. So um, I agree there, there are a lot of concerns with Troy Reaver and whether he understands roster construction and fit and how to, how to build out a roster to make your players uh, play better with each other. But uh, he, he has done an okay job, I think, of just assembling talent. And it's a matter of can, uh, can he, take that a step further and build out a team that actually can win some basketball games. That That's interesting. I, yeah. I'm not high on the prospects of that, but I totally agree, at least with what you're saying here. I think that's why I have them there. They're, they're 26 for me. I, I feel like the talent assembled, but again, it's almost hard because like Kate at the time, like it's like Josh's earlier point. Congratulations. Like you drafted like what everyone said should be the number one pick that year. Like, you know, yay for you, right? Stewart, there was some value there as well. Um, Jaden Ivey, um, you know, was great. But at the same time, like, it, you, the way that they went after the trades, you know, when you uh, go after Marvin Badley because he's high on your board from four years ago, like, that's like me saying, okay, guess what? I'm starting a franchise. Let's trade for Terry Rozier because he was my favorite player, you know, two years ago. And he's going to start shooting guard now for a championship team. Like, that type of logic for me makes sense if you're, like, a super fan or, you know, someone on Discord or whatever. And I'm not disparaging that. That's just usually me. But, you know, like someone like that, sure, you can have your own personal bias. But, like, in my mind, if you're going to bring someone from your older draft board that you want to give a shot to while also compromising the very same position you've already selected in the draft to fill, that's just a mismanagement, especially because they both operate the left post. Like, there's so much more there that I I just kind of scratch your head at. But I definitely get you in terms of assembling talent. If that is such – that's why I have Houston where I do. Um, I'm just higher on the talent there uh, for better or for worse there. But um, (laughs) – But um, yeah, exactly. And I think that's what I'm going to ask y'all. Like, what is that? The is the talent that Detroit assembled, or is it the coaching that sets them higher than, let's say, a Charlotte or a Washington? Because obviously, we know Houston is what they are. They're not even this conversation. But um, and Josh made a good point. Like, has it been assembled? I don't know. But like, that's what I'm like. What like what about Detroit has you both has you higher on that team than two other teams that are in my mind in the same kind of boat? I do think Dwayne Casey's a better coach than uh, what is uh, like Wes Unsell Jr. and uh, I'm trying to think it's Borrego, right? In uh, Steve Clifford. Clifford. Clifford they returned him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that that whole thing was its own. That, that was, was in, that was oh. so part of my criteria too was also just organizational messiness. Like, like, do you have some some shady? stuff going on they're like and and the whole trying to hire kenny atkinson and then him backing out and then they them bringing a coach back that they fired not that long ago like it's just a very weird look 
Um, and so I don't trust that organization's decision-making overall. Uh, Detroit, I don't trust their decision-making either that much, but I, I don't think they have as much messiness. I think they make some poor decisions like we've discussed, but I don't think they have that added element of like, yikes, what's going on here? Yeah, for me, it's it, it largely comes down to um, ownership. Uh, I think Detroit's ownership, uh, I mean, as as an example of these last couple of years, they have been completely fine, you know, losing a lot of basketball games and, and acquiring high draft picks to to build up the talent base, whereas someone like Michael Jordan is just unwilling to do that sort of a thing. Uh, so so that's, a, that's a big thing for me. And yeah, like I would argue that um, – but yeah, someone like Troy Weaver has done a little bit better job of drafting better talents when uh, when he gets his selections, even if those talents haven't found he hasn't found a way to fit those talents yet. I, I trust him to draft the better player than the, those other teams that we've we've already discussed. Definitely fair enough. I can totally see that for sure. Um. So yeah, I mean, so far we've. Wow, like you said, these these bottom teams have been tough to talk about. Not only is there some interesting kind of things to pick out, but they've just been really rough. Um, but moving on to our next squad. Uh, Garrett, what was the next team on your list? So um, number 26 for me and Corbin, I'm, I'm sorry to say, uh, this might be coming as a surprise, it's the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I – Wow. I'm going to let you – wow, I am shocked. Um, I, Josh doesn't you, seem as shocked. They're not in my bottom ten, but I'm not shocked that, that they would be in a bottom ten. I, I can't even talk. One Corbin, second. do you have them number one? I don't have <laughs> them number one. <laughs> they're definitely not, number you, they're one. not in the top ten, my friend. They're not. In the I, I didn't think I'm talking about them for at least another week. Uh, that's what <laughs> I'm going to say. Um, I definitely didn't have. I'm not ready to have that conversation, Garrett. I'll tell you right now. No, I mean, here's the thing: they won a championship just three years ago. It's not even three years ago. It'll be three years ago this June, like, and not even really then COVID year, all of that. I don't think they've fallen off as far. I'm not ready to. Oh my goodness. Okay, you know what? We'll have this conversation next week when I when we release where I have them. Let's talk about it, Garrett. Um, Josh, I'll get your thoughts first because I'm I'm emotional right now. I got to get myself together. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I, I I'm not ready to talk about the Lakers because I have them in my middle tier. Um, but okay, let's. Oh, you, okay, let's Corbin, there. there'll be reason for it. But um, I, I, I I'm not overly shocked also it's just good it's good podcasting because we know corbin's gonna have a reaction to it um <laughs> and I, that I, is I, not why i did no, that. I, I, and i'm not suggesting that's why Karen did it. i'm just saying it's a nice little cherry on top of the sunday um i, I will say my 26th squad what corbin's currently touching a lakers poster for those of you who are just listening my 26 team is, is the houston rockets which we've already kind of covered i i think they have more talent than uh some of the other teams that we've talked about already and, and in theory that talent should fit well together but it hasn't 
Uh, and I'm not sure how much of that is coaching, how much of that is just poor, like organizational culture and, and accountability and everything. Um, they're another team where like, watch if they get Scoot or Wimby, all of a sudden everyone's going to be like, oh, Houston knows what they're doing. I'm not so sure they do. Um, but they they have accumulated a, a fair amount of young talent that it that all are individually intriguing. They just haven't like clicked together yet. I'm not right. Can I, can I, can I uh, talk Drop about it. why I put the Lakers where I did? Yeah, I was gonna throw it to you, Garrett. I just was waiting because I couldn't. I'm ready. Let's, let's, let's rip the bandit off. So first off, you mentioned Corbin. You mentioned that the Lakers won a title, you know, just a few years ago, and yes. that's fair. I would argue that had nothing to do with the organization itself. It has to do with the fact that they're literally based in Los Angeles. I, okay, you need that's a. T- Please tell me more. How? how? It's a big market. It attracts free agents. The organization didn't attract LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It was the location, the market. Mm. Garrett, Garrett, you touched your nerve, man. Listen, Lakers, for years, we couldn't get Greg Monroe. Who is Greg Monroe? We couldn't get Greg Monroe to have a meeting years ago with the Lakers. DeMarc, like, like we've had, they, I don't want to, LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, the big market is one thing, but that doesn't mean a. I'm about to curse on pod. All I'm trying to say is like, like on the one hand, you're right, Garrett. It's Los Angeles, fine. But I can tell you from free agency chases in 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018 that if you aren't a good team and, and if you don't have the right star that says yes, it doesn't matter. You know, I think LeBron turned the Lakers down twice before he finally came around in 2019. Like one wasn't even a, it was a joke of an even entertaining of a meeting. I think it was 2014. I want to say like, that was never going to happen. Um, I think there was one like thing done in 2016. Bottom line is like if, if Los Angeles sells itself, but up to a point, I think we can go off all the swings and misses the Lakers have had in years past. I keep going back to 2016 where we had all these big names lined up. And of course it was Miles Gava and Dang who took over. Like I, I agree, but I don't agree. You know what I mean? I think that the other day we have we're also talking about the also, we're talking about the current organization, and well, the current organization isn't responsible for Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. Yes, but those they are guys have established the Lakers, the Lakers as a place to play that is fun. And all of the big names, all the stars in the history of league have played. I'm not giving Rob Palinka credit for that. Okay, I'm not giving. I, if anything, I'm giving credit to. Um, is it what's his name? Uh, Joey Bus. That's who I give credit to because at the end of the day, Anthony Davis didn't choose to come to Los Angeles. He wanted to come to Los Angeles with LeBron, but the Pelicans had to trade him, and they were able to trade him because of the pieces that the Lakers had both acquired and developed and made. Uh, and also over, you know, over traded for uh, to make a pack as possible to get Anthony Davis. Cause not like teams are knocking down the door to trade with the Lakers in that way. Anyway, I do very much believe in the Lakers tax and it's not just as a fan. I just, I definitely think that that's a thing. Um, but at the same time, you look at who the Lakers have selected over the last couple of years in the draft. I mean, yeah, some of it's, you know, we overhype Laker fans overhype uh, their players. Like it, it's, that's one thing where it's big market, all of that. But if you look at that draft, that was that trade that was done for um, 
And I'm forgetting to Anthony Davis. You have Lonzo Ball, who uh, until injuries recently is still a very good point guard. You have um, a guy who's a star for the Pelicans the last couple of years, who was coming into his own in um, in Brandon Ingram. Uh, you have, I just think all these other pieces that were, well, I mean, you had picks that were involved in the trade as well, but you look at guys like Larry Nance who weren't involved, Julius Randle, like some of that's a little, okay, Julius Randle's a little bit into the previous regime. But I want to say over the last, like, through two to three years before, or let's say two years before they won the championship, that had already been started. Like the pieces were already in motion. So at the very least, you have to give credit to the to the the scouting department and the development as well, because players did grow in LA and then became even better outside of that. Okay, I'll I'll just say this: like Lonzo Ball, number two overall pick, is that a great pick at number two? Is Brandon Ingram at number two a great pick at number two? Brett Ingram, yes, I think so. Jalen um, Brown was the next selection. He's uh, nice. I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't know if do you do you like Jalen Brown over Brandon Ingram? D'Angelo Russell at two was that a great pick? I, I mean, I you're, 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 name, you're naming these names, and and they've all they've all turned into decent players. I would argue Brandon Ingram is the um, is the is the best of the guys that they've drafted. But mm-hmm. let's let's have... not pretend as if this is just some great. Um, this is just some some great draft picks that they've made. They they have made some later ones like with a Kyle Kuzma that was was pretty good. But another big thing that we haven't even gotten to yet is you mentioned the championship that they won. How about the fact that they learned nothing from that championship and completely abandoned the team construction that they needed to, to win? And we're now in year five of LeBron in Los Angeles, and they have one championship to show for it. I would I would argue that that is a failure given the the appeal and the free agency the fact that they had LeBron and Anthony Davis for the majority of this time I would argue it's a failure that they've competed as little as they have. Uh, okay, so for, wow, I am so perturbed right now, Garrett. I, <laughs> I <laughs> no, I'm playing. This is great. I think that on the one hand, I agree with you. I mean. Listen, Dragon Bender was selected fourth. Like, you could have a front office seriously fuck up in, in, in drafting, right? And I don't think a Dragon Bender, Frank Nilakina package potentially would have worked to have acquired um, a guy like Anthony Davis. So, to a certain extent, I think you do have to make the right pick or, or at least close to it um, in order to make a package possible. Plus, they gave so many other picks. Now, with that being said, I'm going to throw to Josh in a second here. I have to agree with you about the way the Lakers have operated post-championship. I want to say they acquired a good squad. I think that that was a mix of those players wanting to come to L.A. and also the front office seeking out those players and actually having a clear, cohesive direction. Because JaVale McGee, solid pick. Him and a Dwight Howard tandem, okay, I guess that kind of works. Rajon Rondo staying over from last year, sure. Like, in and on its own, Danny Green, nice piece, good three-point shoot. Like, in and of itself, all these pieces to me were like, Good solid pieces, but I didn't think they were inspired choices. I wasn't like, okay, this is the blueprint for a LeBron team. You know, I still thought they need another point guard that could actually shoot the space to full for LeBron, like we see in a Mario Chalmers or a Kyrie Irving or a Mo Williams or guys of that oak in the past. But as imperfect as the pieces seemed to me in the beginning, they all did work out very well together. Obviously, you're the healthiest years of a LeBron and, and Anthony Davis that we've had in that five-year run, which is also very important. Because those two players, their health, this team has always been more of a top-heavy team. 
those two players being healthy has been huge. And when you have a player in Anthony Davis who's had battle injuries his entire career for the most part, and a guy in LeBron James who came to LA at age 35, um, you know, like, or 34 rather, like this was going to be uh, uh, an issue. Now, with that being said, yeah, maybe they overcorrected themselves a little bit, you know, leaning more toward. I didn't mind at the time, but I thought that going more offensive-minded the year after when they acquired, of course, you know, trading Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder, acquiring Montres Harrell, and then going for Marcus Gasol. I actually thought that was a nice pick. I actually liked that team. And also, they start off 21-6. And before LeBron and AD got injured, I thought they had a really good core together. Now, after that, trading for the, the King, Russell Westbrook, I can't speak to that. And I guess you could make an argument that over the years, the Lakers have gone further and further away from the team that won themselves the championship until so much you to could the argue point that it seems like the team that won the championship is the exception to the rule here. I, I would argue against that though, because if you look at, okay, 2021, okay. 2020, they won the championship, right? 2021, same kind of roster. I would say more offensive minded, but I understood why they were trying to do. They wanted to diversify. They wanted to bring some more offensive diversification at the center spot, right? Marcus Saul, more of a cerebral passer, three-point spacer, like that makes sense. I, I get having Dennis Schroeder as that point guard who could score, play off of LeBron. Now, his shooting was an issue, and the fact that he traded Danny Green to do so, that was an issue as well. But him and Montres Harrell, I thought was solid. I think the wheels really fell off 2021, 2022 trading for us, which I hate to say, and then this next year as well. But I don't know if outside of these last year and a half, would you argue that it's so far gone from the year they won the championship? Because 2020, 2021, they were successful. They just had more offensive than they did in 2020. Like, that, that is what I'm saying. Like, now they're overcorrecting themselves to the point that I think this team looks more or less, this current iteration with D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, is like almost as perfect of a marriage as they've had between the two. Because they weren't blowing you off offensively, I don't think, the 2020 championship team. They were a very solid team. But, like, defensively and in transition were where they were getting the stuff done. Um, but I, I, I guess I just push back that they've changed so much. It feels like they did because in trading for that one play in Russell Westbrook, they, like, changed the complete dynamic of the team in such a way they had to skew a certain – well, no, they didn't have to skew a certain direction. They chose to skew in a certain direction all offense, and it threw it off. But I feel like – I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm arguing at the wall here. I'm going to throw it to Josh. I, I get your point, Garrett. I'm going to give you that point because I'm not a good enough argument right now. But I do feel like that 2021 team and injuries not happened, I think would have been a better version of the one we had last year. Or not a better version, but a more offensively equipped version. I just want to add that uh, the AD argument, like the, the players being traded for AD, that was partially constrained by the fact that AD's agent told every other team he wouldn't re-sign with anybody but the Lakers. So it, it's I, I'm not I'm not saying that they they didn't have quality talent to send back Corbin, but you have to admit like they were like all of the leverage was with the Lakers. So the the Pelicans had to take that package over uh, because like Boston, for instance, wouldn't have packaged up one of Jalen, one of Jalen or, or Jason plus other pieces because they knew AD wouldn't resign. So like I'm not like again, I have the Lakers in the middle tier for me. Uh, I, I don't completely agree with Garrett, but I, I wanted to add that context because I think it's an important context. So let, let me just pose this question to you guys then. And I know you guys didn't didn't do this exercise in the same way that I did, where you're kind of looking at head coach, you're looking at um, 
you're looking at general manager and then ownership. But when, when I went through all three of those, like Darvin Ham seems to be a, a decent young coach, but again, the league is full of great coaches. I still had him more in that sort of like 18 to 22 range on my personal list. Um, I, I had Palinka pretty low as well. Maybe that's where a big disagreement is happening here. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we can bring up uh, the whole, like, you know, drafting Zubach was a good pick, but then the trade of Zubach was not so good. Um, there, the, uh, and, and ownership, I'm not a big fan of either. So for you guys to have them in a middle tier or potentially higher, what elements of this organization is even at like, the average level, let alone above average level. Josh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will say that uh, I, I thought, particularly at this trade deadline, Palinka actually was, dare I say, fantastic. Like he managed to get off Russ's deal um, and pick up multiple helpful players and only gave up a single first which is top four protected and if it doesn't convey it immediately converts into a second like that's one of the most deft negotiations i've seen lately and he was coming from a place with no leverage he had no leverage all those teams wanted like you got to give me both of those picks man uh, and, and he was operating with very little leverage. So I have to give him a lot of credit for that. I also got to give the, the Lakers credit in the sense that they tend to uncover and unearth quality rotation guys like Reeves, like Caruso. Like they, they do have a really good scouting staff. But then they, they let also, Caruso go. Yes, I agree. The, the big problem was that they took the Russell Westbrook trade instead of going with the Sacramento trade, which would have featured Buddy Heald, who's one of the greatest three-point shooters we've ever seen uh, and would have fit very well and complemented and elevated Anthony Davis and LeBron James's games. But, you know, um, again, I, I think there's been a lot of mistakes by, by the Lakers and everything. But uh, I do think that Palinka has done some good work. Uh, They did win a championship. Vogel is one of the few coaches, and I know he's not currently the coach, but they had Vogel, and he was one of the few coaches in the league who has a championship. Um, Did they they luck into that as well because their actual choices didn't end up going there? It still Uh, counts, man. Like. Um, you know and 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 i agree very strongly actually with garrett that like lebron chose to go there they didn't get lebron lebron much like the nets didn't get kevin durant and kyrie irving kevin durant kyrie irving went to the nets and were like hey we're signing with you and they were like oh cool um uh, and then the ad thing was AD only wanted to go to LA and his agent made that clear, which limited the ability of any other team to trade for AD. So like, I do think there is an element of this that is uh, the mystique of the Lakers, which is very powerful. I I don't disagree, but I think Palinka has done some good work. 
Uh, I think the major thorn in the Lakers' paw uh, was that Westbrook deal. And a lot of that was driven heavily by LeBron and AD themselves. They, yeah, they like, pushed you know, hard I, for us. Yeah, you know, I um, I agree with you about the this past trade deadline, but I also look at moves in concert, right? So the Westbrook yeah. deal bringing him in plus the Westbrook deal sending him out, I would say if you factor both of those in, it's still a negative deal. Um, so that's where they, they're worse off after trading Westbrook than they were before they traded him. So yes. you can you can say that the second trade was good, and it was, but to me that still doesn't look great on Palinka. I, I still operate I, I operate from a different perspective where I take it as it happens because like I've seen people, and I'm not suggesting this is what you're doing, Garrett, but I've seen people who are like, Oh, you know, in this, uh, like when the Vancouver Grizzlies traded for Otis Thorpe, they ultimately gave LeBron James to the Cleveland Cavaliers or, or like the, the Pistons couldn't have gotten LeBron James. Like, no, that deal was done a long time ago. Like there's a piece of it that's kind of floated on. And then like that pick kind of comes up. I think you have to take each thing in its own context, which is always going to be different because it's a different stage in time. Um, and and I, I do admit that the Russell Westbrook thing, like I said, has wasted two years of LeBron's career. Um, but a lot of that, again, isn't necessarily on Palinka. He had his two most important stars push very hard for that deal. Now See, I'm would, not suggesting that's a good. I don't. I, I don't necessarily think that's a good idea to like listen that hard to your players. But when you have a LeBron and an Anthony Davis, you do have to have some conversation with them, and you have to at least. It's your job as in the GM role in that situation to pitch them on why your other alternate choice is actually the better one. And he didn't do that. So that is on him. But but I, I do think Palinka has done some good stuff. And the scouting staff, like Corbin has mentioned, is really good. Um, it's just, you know, that they've messed up a lot too. I, I, as you were talking, I couldn't help but write down a few notes here just to respond. <laughs> um, so, I mean, first thing I want to say is, um, for the record, LeBron wanted to come to LA, but Magic Johnson sealed the deal. It's on record. Um, he did go there, and 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 both have said that Magic kind of helped sway it. So don't want to go how much into it, but LeBron and Magic said it. So I'm just going to believe the both of them. Uh, that goes to the front office. Point for the front office, right? Secondly, I think that you know the eighth, the Anthony Davis. Um, I, I forgot about that. So that, that that was a pretty that was a pretty big hit in my defense. I was writing an excuse. I couldn't think of one. Um, so we're going to move on from that. Um, uh, third. Listen, drafting and scouting, like, that's very important. I think that letting those guys go is sort of a knock. Yes, we can all agree on that for sure. But in order to find this talent, Austin Reeves, the the the, 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 the person who has the rest hearts everywhere, I'm just kidding, uh, really crafty, you know, draw or fouls and a really productive guard, uh, went undrafted. Lakers went and found him. Alex Caruso, same thing. Like, at some point, you know, the Lakers have had issues with well. Taylor Taylor Tucker, I made a joke in the chat that he just dropped 41. That was a joke he did. But the Lakers – could have had both. They were a little cheap. That does knock on ownership. But in terms of the acquiring these uh, these players and and seeing the value that they provide, I have to give a, a, a knock in the first place. We're we're knocking them on it because of how good they were when the Lakers found them from basically nowhere. Like that's all I'm saying there. So that's what I lean on as well. Um, again, another knock, Russ. I I can't 
the rest that, that rest trade was bad. But at the same time, if you are going to knock the Lakers for the stars choosing to go to LA, then I don't think it's fair to knock the Lakers for the stars wanting to get another player and the team saying, Oh, okay, you chose to come to us. Um, and we're happy to have you. So now we're not going to take your input for a player. Like I think to a certain extent, there has to be some nuance there. Yes. You can knock the, the front office for totally acquiescing to that. Um, the same way you can knock Brooklyn's front office to saying, okay, you're only getting Katie and Kyrie. If you get Deandre Jordan, you know, or, you know, other front offices that had other uh, players push for, uh, trades and stuff that did not work ultimately. I think that if we're going to give the players some sway, um, that's more of a knock on them in the front office. It's still damning to the front office as well, but they weren't the ones going out there looking for Russell Westbrook. And I also think, although they waited too long, that what they recouped in value for us and for the players that didn't fit the roster, which again is them trying to fix the mistakes they already made, worked out well. And at some point, you're going to knock them for trying to get out of the hole they dug themselves in? Yes. Knock them for getting themselves in the hole. But now they've gotten themselves out of that. I think that's a nice piece of GM work that Rob Polinka did. And we see that it's catapulted the Lakers back in the playoff contention when that wasn't a knock, that wasn't a certainty at all going into the trade deadline. So that that's that's just where I'm at. And as far as our spot, I think we're 25th now. But I'm gonna let you respond, Garrett, uh, before we move on to the next team. Um, because I know we're gonna talk about the Lakers when we actually get to the Lakers <laughs> for for some of the middle ranks. Um but that was my thought. Like, yes, I think that there certainly is said to be some knocks on them. But at the end of the day, they, they want to ring. I, I'm not going to put them in the bottom 10 when all these other teams have not sniffed the playoffs for half of the decade. And yet you have a team that won the championship. Like, that's probably my biggest, and I literally wrote all caps, championship. Like, that's my biggest thing. I, I get you, Garrett. And this is this is going to be wrapped up with the Russell Westbrook discussion where you bring up the Lakers and we're going to go into a 10-minute diatribe. I'm going to do it. But – I'll let you go. I just wanted to say at the end of the day, they, they did win a ring, and, and I feel like that's a team effort from top to bottom. Even if yeah, they so mistakenly I did guess, it like, Again, speaking to what Josh mentioned, where he's not giving teams credit for like selecting Zion number one overall, right? Again, I'm not giving the Lakers any credit for LeBron and AD saying, I want to be there, make it happen. Like that, That's not the organization that gets credit for that. That's because it's in a big market. It's in a nice city. There's good weather there. It's got the past history of great players and championships that has nothing to do with Rob Palenka. So um, that's where I'm not giving him credit for those players. And LeBron and AD are why they won a championship in 2020. They, they did put, at least for that year, year and a half, a good supporting cast around them. But for the majority of the time, they haven't. And then, you know, when you... When you talk about like, uh, and, and I know a lot of teams that struggle with this, the Clippers struggle with this, like, you know, signing Wessel, Russell Westbrook at the uh, at the trade deadline. The, the Nets did this with DeAndre Jordan, but I'm of the mindset that like, uh, you know, signing DeAndre Jordan when, when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving wanted him. I'm of the opinion that all of those three teams, that front office, those are mistakes. You know, you... You should listen to your players. You should have a conversation. But at the end of the day, the decisions of who's going to be on your roster are up to the front office. And sometimes you just got to tell your players no, even if that player is LeBron James. I can only think of one other time that a GM told a player, no, I'm sure there's been other times. But when I think the Jerry Krause wanted to sign 
was it Dennis Hobson or Stacey King? And Michael Jordan wanted 36-year-old Walter Davids. Um, and Jerry Krause said no. And I think Michael Jordan speaks to him for two months. But they did win a ring that year. So I, I guess that's the only time I can remember. I mean, for the most part, I think if stars want a player, they usually get the player they want if they're on good teams. Um, I mean, but at the same time, in mean, Oklahoma City, uh, if you look at a reason why Kevin Durant said that he, and mind you, it wasn't even his, it wasn't even the front office's fault for this, but Kevin Durant wanted a, a veteran forward. He wanted older players. And Sam Preston kept saying that wasn't something he was interested in doing. They wanted um, they wanted um, Paul Gasol. And Trump Paul Gasol just didn't want to go to, to OKC. But Kate, and mind you, Katie's not exactly, I mean, I'm going to throw, throw this away because Katie's not exactly the, the play I want to prove about. Okay, players get what they want or else. But at the same time, I do think that stars have some sway than you are giving Garrett. Um, I definitely think they do have more sway than that. But I get where you're coming from. And that was, I think, I mean, I'm, I was so, this Lakers tangent had me all twisted up. Um, we are, this was fun. We're going to have to go back to that. But going back to um, my team, I think I did my 26. Well, I'm all confused now. Jeez. Um, wait, let me see. We're talking. No, I did. Yeah, I did my 26. That was Detroit. So now we're on our 25th. Sorry, that was, whoo. Garrett, thank you for that. I'm just, okay. 25th for me. It might be surprising, maybe not. I have the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, Minnesota Timberwolves for me, just because I feel that over the last couple of years, mind you, I like their selection of, um, I like their selection of Anthony Edwards. I think that he's proven to be, I would say, the best of the top three selected. Uh, Lamelo Ball's been great, but like, yeah, Anthony uh, Anthony Edwards has been in my mind the best pick in that, or the best one of the best in that pick, considering. Um, at the same time, I think it even goes back around. It goes with the Gobert tree. That was ridiculous. Like, I would say it starts and ends there, but um, yeah, I guess it kind of does. I was thinking about that. I, okay, so we're in the. I'm talking and on the also in the notes. I took the Timberwolves since I took every team since 2020. I thought a three year window, three year window would be right. So I kind of leaned a little bit, unfortunately, into the other the the, the Gerson Rosas um, administration on this as well, which was kind of a knock because I still think they draft the right player in Anthony Edwards, but I also feel like they did that because they thought they were good at point guard because of D'Angelo Russell, which widened up for Lamar Ball, and we all saw that worked out. So it's kind of weird there. At the end of the day, it was the the, the Rudy Gobert trade that just totally submarine me to them um, because you're in a spot now where you are basically just bereft of draft assets. Um, you're in a position right now where you are fighting for a playoff spot, which is fine, but you – could have had a lot more progression with some of the younger players and better fits on the roster that you had last season that were gone to get, bring up uh, Gobert, including a guy like a Walker Kessler. Um, you know, a guy like a Pat Bev who's kind of fallen off a little bit, but so many other guys who were up and down Malik Beasley that were in this roster that helped them be as successful as they were all on for Gobert, which has been a mixed bag. It's not even a knock on Gobert as much. Gobert's, like, numbers have, have dipped tightly in certain areas, uh, particularly some defensive metrics, but I don't think it's a knock on him as much as it's not a good fit for him on this roster. And this roster wasn't equipped to kind of cover for him. And yes, they ended up bringing Mike Conley in the trade deadline to kind of help out a little bit better for him. But at this point, and injuries have also been a factor too. Carlin Towns missing a large part of the year. Anthony Edwards just most recently going down. Like it's been a problem, but I just feel like if you look at their draft assets, not a whole lot there. You look at their promising young players. I see exactly two. I see Anthony Edwards. I see Jaden McDaniels. Nas Reed's nice. You're probably going to lose him this summer. 
you know, because of acquiring Gobert with Carl Anthony Towns. If you have any chance of improving your roster outside of hitting on whatever draft picks you do have or getting someone to come over free agency, it's going to involve a trade. You're not trading Anthony Edwards, and this team is not a good fit for Edwards right now. You're not trading Rudy Gobert, at least not ex- exactly at this moment. So the only other player potentially available to trade would be Carl Anthony Towns, who in theory is one of the few players who works with Anthony Edwards on the offensive end that you could actually build a defensive team around not as the main guy, but definitely not playing at the four to cover for Gobert. I just feel like I feel like a Walker Kessler, Anthony, a Walker Kessler, um, probably Pound would be interesting. Like I definitely think that he's more mobile. While he's not the defender that Rudy Gobert is, uh, he's like twenty three, you know, so he will be that defender in like two years. Uh, whereas Gobert is on a contract in my mind that I just don't see it. I think I I believe in the upside of Walker Kessler. I was really high on him to begin with. Not really how I'm being, really how I'm is like what he would be in this league. So when the trade for Rudy Gobert was like, okay, you're getting the better version of that, like, like definitely, but for how long? In my mind, I'm not saying that Walker is going to be a Rudy Gobert level, but Rudy Gobert level right now, defensive play, who knows how long he's going to be there? And if he's going to fall from that as he gets older, because he's going, you have him from age 30 to 35 seasons, right? Like, if he does regress, you're paying him a lot of money to do so. And I thought that was just a gross miscalculation of a player's fit, uh, a gross uh, overestimation of uh, overestimation of his impact, um, and a whole lot of assets prayed away for a player that I didn't think made sense in the beginning and so far has proven to be, at best, a mixed bag. So that's my blurb on the Timberwolves. Yeah, I had, uh, I had Minnesota at the lower end of my middle tier. Um... So I'm a little bit higher on them. And yes, I agree that the, the Gobert trade has not panned out as they would have expected. I still give Tim Connolly, the current GM there, despite the fact that he made that trade. Uh, he's got a pretty decent track record dating back to his days in Denver as a general manager. Josh has given me some side eye. I think he's got a, a pretty good track record. I would argue that uh, drafting Nikola Jokic in the second round is, uh, is, is pretty good, but um you don't get credit for they had no idea Jokic was going to be this. They, they drafted Jokic for drafting a two-time MVP in the second round. You still get credit you even get, if it's there's uh, value. Know, but like, I still give Bob Myers credit for drafting Draymond Green, even though he drafted Festus. He could have drafted Draymond, Draymond Green, yes, but yeah, yeah. you you still get credit for that. <laughs> but I, did that credit equalize a horrible trade? Like to like. Does that, does that credit to me, like, that's a very good pick, and you're right, no one knew. And and, and credit to Conley, once they saw, because they had Yusef Nurkic at the time, once they saw that Jokic was going to be who Jokic was, they were quick to move off of, of, of Nurkic, right? Well, not quick, but quick enough. Um, But at the same time, like, are we are we undermining? I mean, Garrett, we just talked about uh, Trey. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let you just – I'm just going to be real about it. I'm not going to let you trash my, my my Lakers and just walk past this Rudy Gobert Trey like it, like it wasn't anything. Like, are we – are we like, come on, let, let's talk about this. Like – that was um, Josh. I'm gonna throw to you. I know. I, I feel like I know where you stand on this. I want to get your opinion on this too, Josh. But I, I can't let you off the hook here. What are you, What are your thoughts on the trade? Like, I feel like you're like, hey, you got a two time MVP, but then you basically almost submarine the team's future potentially right now with a trade for a player that wasn't a good fit. Like, okay, you did one amazing thing for one team, but you are now the DM of the Timberwolves, and you have gotten them off to a horrendous start. That, that that's that's my that's my question, you Gary. That's my challenge. Sorry, can you can you ask that again? I thought you were, I thought you were trying to come to the job. I went... I'm sorry. <laughs> I went on a rant. I was saying 
I need you to okay. So how do you 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 kind of excuse Conley by saying what he did in Denver and, and drafting um Nicole Jokic? But I'm saying like let's talk that this trade for Gobert was. I'm just gonna say horrendous in my mind. Like it's kind of worked out at least this season, but it's not really worked out at least not for what they planned when they made the trade. And I feel like by saying okay, he did a, a good job with this one selection. Or he did other things around the margins and everything. Sure. Um, I also didn't win a championship on like the team that you have 25th, but that's not the point. But in fact, I think they beat that team. Anyways, um, aside from that though, um, going back to Conley, like how do you contextualize that horrendous trade? Because that's what it was. You traded a large part of your rotation, a large part of your future in draft picks for one player who it was even people who were high on the trade said, okay, we have to see how the fit looks. Like it wasn't a surefire fit at all from the beginning. It certainly has proven that way to be now. Um, and, and, of course, Conley Towns hasn't been helped, you know, in terms of dealing with injury as well. But that experiment wasn't working before he went down. So I just want to get how you're able to, I guess, kind of not brush it off. But I just want to get your thoughts on the trade because I get, like, that's kind of bad. That's I agree, it's, move, I agree it's kind of bad. I, I don't think it's nearly as catastrophic as the Westbrook deal, in part because Rudy Gobert is still a – a good basketball player. <laughs> um, so, so, so there's that. Uh, I, I think there's, there's definitely some, uh, they still have some ability to build around um, and, and figure things out. You know, the, they haven't had a ton of time to even play together with their three stars, Gobert, Towns and, and Edwards, because Towns has been hurt so long. Uh, they, they still could potentially move, a Carl Anthony Towns and try to build around Edwards and and Gobert. I I, I agree it's bad. It does not look good. Um, but yeah, I just I think there's a difference between a bad trade and a catastrophic trade. And I feel like the Westbrook deal falls into the latter category. And this Gobert this Gobert deal is um, you know. I, I still think very highly of Rudy Gobert. I still think he's a very, very good center in the NBA. I would say he's, I would still say he's probably a top eight center in the league. And if you've got a guy that good and you've got a rising star in Anthony Edwards, there's, you know, they, they've got to figure out some things. They've got to build out their, their bench in future years. But I don't think that, uh, you know, it's just the, the light has been completely taken out of that franchise. Like they're, there's still some potential there. There's still some some things to be excited about. Okay, Josh. So so I'm kind of in the mid range between you two. I have the Timberwolves at 22 for me. Um, so they're near the top of the bottom tier for me. And, and, and they're, they're large... twenty. They're 20 for me, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they get a slight boost, and this has nothing necessarily to do with Conley, but they get a slight boost from having Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels and, uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns. They still have way more younger talent than some of the other teams that are in this bottom 10 range for me. Um, and I the trade was terrible, but it was terrible for two reasons that we're, we haven't really talked about. One is uh, they had, they gave in to a lack of leverage. Um, they went in and the other major problem 
was they overrated their performance from the previous year. They thought we can actually make some noise if we shore up our defense and our rebounding. So they went and tried to get the very best defensive center and the very best rebounder in the league, which is Rudy Gobert. Um, the problem is they, they obviously were a little too obvious about it. And Utah, and we know Danny, Danny likes to get as much as he possibly can. Danny had the leverage. He knew he had the leverage. And he really wanted McDaniels. And two, and, and this is why, another reason why I have Timberwolves a little higher. The, the Timberwolves uh, and Connolly rightfully pushed back on giving up McDaniels in the deal. They would rather give up some future first, which as we, as Corbin and I have discussed before, uh, a lot of these first are like current middle schoolers. Uh, so, like, you have to put some context into it. It looks much worse than it actually necessarily will be. Um, but they they have Edwards. They have McDaniels. They have Cat. They still could potentially move Cat for perhaps a better fit, like a, a Trey Young maybe if, if things go bad in Atlanta. Uh, and then you have Trey Young with Rudy Gobert as the role man and Ant uh, alongside – I don't necessarily think I'd do that, Garrett, but um, that there's still options there. There's just not a lot of draft options or financial flexibility. Um, but they they do have better talent right now than a lot of these other franchises in the bottom ten. Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm just. By the way, I was kidding there. Um, no, I, I guess I, I'm 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 low on Gobert, and I feel bad because I'm actually not low on Gobert as a player. I, I think that I think he's always been overvalued, in my opinion. Um, I think even with the Jazz, I always think that. I think with the Jazz struggles, that's little, true. Yeah, that's I just I, I feel it. Yeah. Huh? That's that's a Corbin thing. He's the opposite of your type of player. Yeah, but not even. Yeah. I mean, he is the opposite of my player, but also I feel like because of like maybe it's because of the people. Like, all my friends are Gobert fans, but I feel like he's almost over. Like like his, like the Jazz weakness of the last couple of years weren't always Gobert's fault, but in my mind, a large share of them were. Um, again, I know. Nah, that's lineup, but, man. Like again, Gobert... he's asking for the lineup, and teams attacked him relentlessly. Terrence, no, Mann, no, they didn't attack him. That that's the problem. It's team defense. The problem isn't getting Gobert. No, 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 no. Corbin, you do. Hear me out on this. The problem is they had six four Royce O'Neal as the only player who could defend anybody on the perimeter. And their entire defense was focused on funneling people towards Gobert, which fundamentally makes it harder for Gobert to cover somebody in a corner three. That's a schematic issue and a personnel issue, not necessarily a Rudy issue. Plus, if you look at the numbers, Rudy was actually a pretty good defender in isolations and in pick and rolls against pick and roll ball handler. We all just remember that time that Steph, who's one of the greatest of all time, future Hall of Famer and everything, one of the best handles we've seen and crosses a lot of people up. Steph had him in, in like the, the washing machine and, and yeah. that became a huge meme and a 
skiff and, and all that sort of stuff. Well, Terrence Mann and, was in the spin cycle. No, Terrence he didn't. Terrence Mann just hit a bunch of open threes. And again, Why were they open when they were five out? Because Why of the schematic open? issue, Corbin. It's not Gobert's fault. I'm not, it's I how the team uses him and how the team doesn't have any support to help Gobert. Yeah, Gobert's, no choi Gobert's choice in that series was to either give up a layup or give up a three to man. That were yeah. the that was the choices he had. He chose to he defend the rim, stop the wide open layup that his teammates had given up because of a blow by, constant blow bys. Mm -hmm. So there's literally no defender on earth that can stop a layup and stop a corner three. I mean, yep. there's one. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but um, <laughs> but no. I, I guess in my mind, here's the thing. Like, okay, if that, I, I'm not saying schematically, I'm saying the issue is you're right. It's not. Let me let me be more clear about this. I feel that Gobert is part of the issue. I get schematically, he can be two plays at once. This, that, and the other, all of that. I'm not saying that it's all on his fault, but I'm saying everyone has excuses for Gobert. It feels like um whenever there's uh, perennial jazz struggles and i get it there's also a lot of you could look at like you said some of the personal differences that the jazz or personal issues the jazz had leading up to the playoffs but now he's in minnesota they're struggling too but it's not his fault either like i just understand at this point i don't get the allure of gobert i just never have he's a solid player i would say a top 10 to 15 center i, I would say that comfortably um offensively i think he's detrimental i don't think you can um I mean, offensively, I think he's detrimental in – sorry, I'm going to let you go, Josh. Offensively, I think he's detrimental in, like, like he's not – you have to give the pass a certain kind of way. You have to – he's not someone that you're – he doesn't have to be a spacer at all, but he's not exactly a great finisher on the rim. He's a solid enough free throw shooter, not great there. Like, he's okay offensively. And defensively, you're saying that he's great if he's in the right scheme. Okay, well, then a lot of players would be great if they're in the right area um, because the Jazz were a very good team. You can't say that it wasn't, like, their defense was bad in the regular season. It was solid. In the playoffs, there was because of Gobert, the regular <laughs> yes. season defense so in the was playoffs, solid because need to of win. Gobert, so and literally playoffs, everyone else was bad. So, okay, so if that's the case, he's a good regular season player, but not in the postseason. Because if that's the case, when you need to win, and, and you can obviously pick at everyone else, and now you have made Gobert isolated, like you've kind of taken, like, can't be two places at once. He's able to raise up the ceiling of your team defensively because you're still the same bad team you were. In the regular season, nothing changed. You're still the same bad team, but now teams can actually go at you and devise a way to take you to neutralize you of your one great strength. Because that's what I'm getting. If the Jazz were so, and they were, were so bad defensively all these years, regardless, and they were still winning, you know, 55 plus games, whatever. I'm just saying, over the, I'm just saying in terms of their personnel over the last three to four years, they they've been the same team. I mean, they've they've been mostly the same team there. Defensively in the playoffs, you're right. Teams can focus and take you out of it and, and and scheme. And they've done a pretty good job of doing that and neutralizing the only defense apparently the Jazz had. So if you are getting paid off of the back of being a very good regular season defender, because you can be schemed against and quite easily defensively if your team isn't up to speed there, at least what I'm getting, I, I'm just confused. I, I, the more I talk about it, I just, I, again, I, I'm not going to say my mind here. I think he's overrated, but I am going to get your, your thought on that for sure, Josh. Well, I, I just want to say Gobert is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Gobert is one of the best defenders we've seen in quite a long time, and historically speaking. And the whole reason that that team had top 10 defenses and oftentimes top five defenses the last several years is entirely because of Gobert. He is a top 10 defense unto himself. Which includes now this year. Yes. Uh, 
he had, like we said, a lot of it is schematic, Corbin. And, and I get that the idea where you're coming from is like he's paid a lot of money in the playoffs. If he's the one who's supposed to hold this defense together and they get beat on defense, I, I get where you're coming from, Corbin, and you have a valid point. We're just arguing that he had almost no help and – a lot of that is a schematic thing that the coach has to plan for. Like that, the, there are appeal switches. There, there are all sorts of things that you can do to like really keep your defensive anchor, your rim protector near the paint and not have to worry as much. But shit, they could have gone zone, man. They could have, they didn't try it. They could have gone a little bit of zone, kept Gobert in the middle, uh, you know, uh, but like Garrett said, Terrence Mann happened to hit seven threes. That was still the the better defensive play than giving up an open layup. So I just I'm with you. I get your point, man. I, I get the the energy and the heart that's going into that argument. Uh, I I just think we have to give Gobert his his props. Uh, and it was still a terrible trade. Both things can be true. But like I said, the 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 really problematic thing to me for this franchise was they thought they were much further ahead than they actually are. And they decided we have to make our big all-in move now. And then they went with a guy who schematically, offensively, plays a totally different type of offense than you play with Anthony Edwards and that you play with D'Angelo Russell and Cat. It was going to cause friction to start off with. Um, and like defensively, it's still a pretty young team that gave up their defensive leaders in Vanderbilt and Beverly to get Gobert in the first place. Um, so there was going to be some adjustment. I, I think, again, it's a terrible trade. No one's questioning that, but I don't think Gobert himself is the problem. It's their evaluation of where the team was at and their evaluation that Gobert was the only answer to their rebounding and defensive problems. And the timeline thing, I think, is a big factor here, too. It not only was it that they made a win-now move, but they made a win-now move for an aging player in Gobert that's nowhere near the timeline of Anthony Edwards. And as much as uh, Josh and I are both Gobert stands, um, I, I would argue, and I, I don't know if Josh agrees, but that he's been slightly worse this year. And oh, I yeah. think that's an, that's an aging thing. Yeah. He's still been very, very good defensively, um, but he's likely going to get slightly worse every single year from here on out. And that's a major problem when the goal should be, let's build as good of a team as possible when Anthony Edwards is in his prime. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you make compelling points. I mean, and the funny thing is, I actually like Gobert, like, from what I, like, outside of the whole COVID thing, like, as a person, from what I've seen, like, decent enough guy. I mean, as far as, like, being a fan of his from afar, you know what I mean? I feel like he's at, maybe, I mean, in four years, I'll love him. I feel like he's at the Russell Westbrook stage, where, like, for me, I used to hate Russell Westbrook until, like, around 2017. Then I felt sorry for him, and I'm like, you know what? That's my guy. Maybe I'll get that way around Gobert. I, I, I just, I, um... I get what you're saying, though. I think it's definitely an interesting conversation. And maybe there's a, a further one to be had about rim protection and just the value of defense as its own specific conversation and not a tangent that we occasionally get into. That'll, that'll be a, 
a good conversation. But for now, uh, let's go to 25 uh, between Josh and Garrett. I know apparently there's going to be some surprises between the two. So well, Josh will let you go first, and then Garrett All will right. finish off here. So the 25th franchise uh, for me is the Dallas Mavericks. That's my 25th as well. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, uh, they, they – I think you have to – knock them harder when they have a player such as Luca. Uh, when you have a player like Luca, your job primarily is not to screw it up. And they continuously try to screw it up. Uh, they, they hired Jason Kidd as coach. Um, they let Jalen Brunson go. Um, they, they target other poor defenders and players like Christian Wood and Kyrie Irving. Um, with Kyrie Irving, they took a massive risk for an upcoming free agent who's, to put it lightly, mercurial <laughs> and a unique individual who, who has previously stated frequently that he'd like to play with LeBron in LA. Uh, and and uh, they traded their second and their third best players plus a first and a second to bring on the Kanye West of basketball. Um, and I don't think Kyrie's the reason that they're having struggles. I don't believe that's the case. I think it's a terrible contextual choice to try to like, again, I, it's similar to the Minnesota thing. Like, why are we playing our cards for this guy right now? knowing that we have him for a rental and then he's probably going to leave. And now we're out Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith who Dorian Finney-Smith Corbin is the Royce O'Neal for the Dallas Mavericks. Mm -hmm. They gave away their one perimeter defender um, to get Kyrie. Um, and so I, I just think that organization continuously is messing up and they already have one of the biggest gift horses in their mouth like that you possibly can have and they're on the verge potentially of making him want to leave which if Luca leaves you probably drop down to like 29th or 30th yeah what do you yeah. think Garrett yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think something that needs to be talked about here as well is, you know, Mark Cuban, I don't think is the greatest of owners. Uh, he uh, has, you know, he's obviously incredibly rich, one of the richest owners in the NBA, um, but has kind of cheaped out at crucial moments for this team. You know, he cheaped out on Tyson Chandler after the 2011 championship. Um, and seemingly cheaped out on Jalen Brunson as well after they made the conference finals. So uh, they they've made these uh, they've made these really horrible decisions to let guys walk when they had some pretty good control to keep them around, and it's it's really come back to bite them. And then yeah, the the Kyrie trade not only the risk of again yeah he's not on the exact same timeline as Luca he's a little bit older, um, but yeah beyond just the this the the age thing there's the skill element where i don't think they complement each other as basketball players that well they're definitely not doing the michael jordan and scotty pippen of of uh you know 
kind of handling all the different things that a team needs. They both basically have some of the same strengths and some of the same weaknesses. Uh, and and Luca was already one of the most like high usage players in the league prior to acquiring Irving. So you're basically just giving Irving some of the possessions that Luca would have had. And how much does that actually help you? I know they've had you know some pretty good uh, offensive performances and they've had a good offensive rating with the two of them. But as Josh said, the defense has just been terrible because they had one pretty good perimeter defender in uh, in Dorian Finney-Smith. Now he's gone. You know, Maxi Kleba hasn't been the same, and he was kind of a rock for them defensively in the front court. So they uh, they're just in a in a really bad place. In large part, it's and it's by shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, I have to agree with both of y'all. Like, I mean, the, the trade for Kyrie obviously was not great given where they were, but like you said, you it's the the the, the seeds for the fruit of destruction have been sown well before this. Um you look at the front office, you look at, you know, the workplace environment, you know, behind the scenes that was around over the last couple of years for Dallas. Um, Jason Kidd as coach. Like, there's a lot going on, uh, very little bit good. And the fact that they're possibly ostracizing their one um, or, or that's not the word I'm looking for, but basically, you know, pushing away um, their one franchise player because of how they're managing the team. Uh, apparently, you know, uh, he was on board with the Kyrie trades. I'm not holding that against him, but just in terms of um, how they've been run. And, and, and right now they're on the outside looking in the playoffs and the numbers do not look good for them making it. And I'm not even saying the playoffs. They're on the outside looking in the play-in. So this isn't looking very good. I completely 100% agree with you both. Um, I actually had them in the same boat, so I'm actually glad we were all. I think it's the first time we've all had the same team in the same in the same area. Um, I actually flip flop between them and another team, but I'll wait till well, I'll wait till the next team. If we don't if we don't get there, then then I'll share the team I have as my number twenty. Well, this one be our twenty two team. Are we up anyway? Let me. Yeah, I, I just wanted to make one more comment on Jason Kidd. You know, he had a. He had a successful run last year, got them to the conference finals. I was really low on the hiring of Jason Kidd. And, you know, for a while I was eating crow on that, right? Uh, but we 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 always in this in the sports world have to avoid the, you know, the temporary, the short-term thinking. And just one good season out of Jason Kidd doesn't mean that was a good hire. And we're already starting to see some of the issues that Jason Kidd has as a head coach. The defense, which was top 10 last year, has fallen off a cliff. The same exact thing happened in Milwaukee in his tenure there. So um, there's, uh, you know, that's that's an issue as well. The the kid hiring is is looking kind of bad now, and he's kind of in towards the bottom tier of coaches as well in the league. So, again, going back to how I looked at it with coaches, a general management and ownership, I don't think they rate very highly in any of those categories, and that's how you end up 25th. That's solid. That's solid. You're right. So I guess with, with that, let, let's take stock of where we are because I've gotten mixed up. I think it's been a good conversation so far. Hour 28, how does time fly here? I, mean, I don't understand. But um, where are we on these teams? Like, What number are we on? Because we're going to our 24. Our, we're on 24. 24. Yeah, we're on 24 now. Okay, so I must have ran through a few teams in the midst of this that I shared. Okay, cool. So let's start with you, Josh. Uh, what is your 24 team? Uh, the Atlanta Hawks. I have them in the midst. Kind of a similar situation. Um, although I, I, I think 
One, I, 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 I don't think Trey is at the same degree as Luca, and therefore the, you know, screwing up um, when you have a player like that isn't as strong with the Hawks. Plus, I think part of it, and not necessarily an insignificant part of it, is tied to Trey himself. Um, the We've heard all of the kind of back and forth from the owner about, you know, like my, my son earned his way in and he doesn't really have a big say, but then everyone else involved says like, we're uncomfortable with how big a say he has. And again, I factor in messiness. There's a lot of messiness with the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young has now had two coaches that have basically, I, I wouldn't say he ran them out, but, but, they butted heads and Trey didn't really want to do what they wanted him to do. And part of that is on them to communicate it, it in such a way to get Trey to buy in. Um, but Trey still hasn't progressed as a defender. Um, he still hasn't progressed off ball. Uh, I, I think the belief was, you know, we get DeJounte Murray come in. We have a little more diversity in, in how our offensive attack can play out. We have two ball handlers now. Um, Trey can, you know, flex his shooting off ball, except Trey's never been off ball in his entire life and doesn't seem to want to be off ball. Um, and and I think the, the reason I have them above the Mavs is I, I, I think there's more – possibilities for them like they could move trey and get some sort of, like the mavs aren't moving luca unless luca like really drops the hammer in a very public very messy uh trade request so i think atlanta has a few more opportunities available to them where they could kind of ease some of this messiness uh in the off season um, but also if they move off Trey, you know, it really heavily depends on what they get back because they don't really have a whole lot of flexibility to like, you know, rebuild up around DeJounte and DeJounte is going to be a free agent soon. Um, and so I, I think they're in a very weird situation and they still have some interesting talent. Um, I, I like those two guys as players. I like John Collins. Clint Capella, that they have some interesting pieces there. It's just they can't seem to find a, a consistent long-term coach who can get through to Trey. Uh, and Trey is kind of somebody who doesn't do anything on defense or off ball. And that when that's your star player, it's hard to build a particularly good team around such a player. Yeah, I uh, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I guess the I have them in the middle tier in large part just due to Quinn Snyder, and it's still very early on in the process with him. But I believe Snyder is a very, very good NBA coach, I would argue, possibly in the top tier just in terms of the coach rankings. So that's what brought them up for me. But I completely agree on the, the front office and the ownership situation. It's it's not great. And uh uh, that that is certainly dragging them back, and yeah, Trey Young um, being your your best player, and that was the decision the the previous front office made in terms of choosing Trey Young over Luca. 
um, that, uh, you know, I just don't think Trey Young is good enough to be your best guy, given all those limitations Josh mentioned. And, you know, we, we saw it in the playoff series against the Heat last year where Miami with Bam Adebayo was able to just basically switch every action. And Trey Young didn't know what to do. He had just absolutely horrendous series. Uh, he's he's great against the traditional uh, the traditional schemes and like against weaker switch defenders, especially switch bigs. But, um, you know, to win four rounds in the postseason, you're probably going to have to go up against a Bam Adebayo or a team with Giannis playing Giannis at center. And uh, I, I just don't think he's he's quite good enough, especially given how much he's giving back on the defensive end to be your top guy. Yeah, um, I have to agree with you. I mean, I have the Hawks a little bit higher. Um, just I think that they've at least stumbled into some success, and I do consider success a part of the factor in this rankings. Um, so I have the Hawks. I mean, for the record, I mean, we've actually kind of covered all of my top like twenty-one teams was hilarious. I have the Hawks twenty-one. Um, so I think they've had a little bit more success um, in spite of the front office messiness, which is totally a factor in spite of the coach killer, you know, tag that rightfully or wrongfully young has sort of acquired here. Um, in spite of the fact that, yeah, there seems to be a, a weird, again, a schematic personnel issue in terms of how best to fit a team around Trey Young in a similar way that we saw the Dallas Mavericks, how best to fit a team on Luka and both front offices kind of misunderstanding completely how to do so. Um, although I don't think the Hawks have been quite as damaging in their attempts to, uh, overreact than the Hawks have been. And so that's why I have the Hawks a little higher. But at the same time, everything that both of y'all mentioned stands. Uh, not the biggest Snyder fan. Snyder's a very good coach. I'm not the biggest Snyder fan for other reasons, but he's a very, like, respected coach, good coach. Do I think he's going to be, like, the, the key here? No, I think that there's a lot more uh, concerning personnel than there is about a guy who's going to come in and make all these pieces work. I just don't think that they do. I think you have a little piece of something that works between – Capella and Trey Young. If you believe that Trey Young is that guy that you build around, you want defensive first-minded wings in my mind. Like there's a certain team construct that if you don't have it, I don't think that all the coaching the world's going to do is is trust it up during the regular season. This is my own personal mindset. Um, but that being said, I, I, we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, that they're a team that I agree with everything that y'all both mentioned. I just again was a little higher on them. They have had more success. They're more than likely going to be in the play-in game. They have a chance of making the playoffs, an outside chance of doing that, um, even with injuries and all the dysfunction they've had. So, yeah, they're a team that ranks high in the messiness category. But in terms of court on-court competency, they haven't been the worst. Injuries have been a, a much bigger uh, part of that, in my opinion, as well. So my number 24 was the Pistons. So should we move to 23 now? Um, Absolutely. Uh, the, the next team I have here is the Orlando Magic. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I would say that we're getting to the point where even though, yes, hearing number 23 sounds really bad, but I feel like from here on out, all of these organizations, in my mind, have some level of competence. I get where you're coming from. I, I guess to a certain extent, yeah, I agree. Again, it's so weird with the front office because you're right. Like, you have a team that uh, – yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm going to say that. I, I think a funny way of, of describing a front office like that 20 – was it 2019 or 20 – no, it was like 2017 Clippers where I feel like their coach was good. Like Doc Rivers like really helped them through a tough time, right? Obviously, their like owner was the worst. You know, the players were good. I don't know if, was, if Rock Divers was also the GM yet or if that was later. 
but I think he was at the same time too, in which case that's also a knock on them. Like in terms of like, I think you have a successful competent team and have a horrible like front office in just disarray. But I definitely agree with you in terms of where we are just by sure nature of 30 teams and we're in the upper 20s now that you are going to get a certain level of competency and you just have to put a team there. So no, continue, Garrett. Yeah, I mean, I this uh, I think my my ranking them as low as I have them is in part because I just still haven't fully bought into Jamal Mosley as a head coach. Um, you know, he's gotten pretty decent defensive performances out of that roster, but I would argue that roster is pretty talented defensively. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, I think Markel Foltz is a pretty good, pretty good defender. I think uh, Franz Wagner was considered a, a solid defensive prospect in, out of college. Wendell Carter Jr. is, uh, you know, a decent defensive talent. Jalen Suggs was uh, drafted for his defensive ability. So, um, yeah, I, I just don't know what to think about Mosley quite yet. It's a little still, it's a little too early for, for me to fully know. And I think like maybe next year, if they add some more talent and and get another year of experience with this core will be a, a good litmus test for him as a head coach in the league. But, uh, you know, um, Jeff Weltman as a GM, I think has done a reasonably good job. I think the, uh, the Vucevic trade was fantastic. Um, the, uh, drafting, uh, Franz Wagner and, uh, and Paolo look pretty good, but, you know, some other picks like Jalen Suggs, for instance, is still kind of up in the air. So he, it's a little bit of a mixed bag for me, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're an organization that again, at this point, I think is competent and it isn't terrible, but, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't think I've seen enough evidence that they're you know, really good in any particular area to say that they belong in the middle third of the NBA. That's fair. Um, Josh, where do you, I mean, it's oh, this way. Okay. Yeah. So what we're going to do, we're going to circle back on Orlando because I also have them um, coming up. Uh, we'll touch on them. I definitely agree with what you're saying here for the most part, definitely going to have a more further fleshing out of that. Um, but let's go to Josh's next team since some of these teams are getting to this tricky part oh, where yeah. we're seeing the divide, and I want to have mm-hmm. a big conversation almost two hours in and then have it again next time too. Yeah. So uh, number 23 for me, and it's kind of funny, is the Chicago Bulls. 23 Chicago Bulls. Um, I, I, I think the the reason they're above – like I think they're, they're in a pretty bad spot themselves <laughs> – uh, like Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine is not a, a trio that's going to lead you uh, to much, in my opinion. Um, but they have way less messiness than the Mavs and the Hawks. Um, and I like I like the fact that they have a strong defensive identity somehow, despite having the big three of Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic. Um, and, and they've done a really good job of identifying uh, strong defensive players to put around them. Uh, you know, I, I like Pat. Uh, I, I like AO. Um, those are unfortunately the only young players on their team uh, of any note, really. Um, but I, I like that they also have targeted guys like Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Patrick Beverly. Like they, they clearly have a vision for what they need to do around their big three. And, and I appreciate that. Um, that said, they're still in the bottom 10 for me because uh, they don't 
really have much financial flexibility. Uh, like I said, Pat and, and AO are the only young players of note for them. Uh, and they're kind of in a, a net negative in terms of draft capital. Um, so I'm curious to see where they go from here, especially since Vucevic, I think, is a free agent this offseason. Um, but uh, I, at the very least, they're not, you know, spilling their drama all over the place like the Mavs and the uh, Hawks are. That's interesting. I have, um, it's funny, the teams that were kind of rushing, I have the Bulls 22 myself. So uh, just kind of piggybacking off of what you said, I kind of agree. I just think that they're, they they gambled and lost on a, on a core that some of it was unfortunate just with Lonzo Ball and his injuries. He was a big part of this plan, right? In free agency that kind of build around these guys. And without having that, that's enough. That, that just has to be. At the same time, you know, Levine and um, DeRozan was always a, a tenuous fit at best. Um both need the ball, both, you know, just are kind of used to that. Uh, DeRozan's not the, a very good outside shooter. Um, Levine's just not, in my mind, the defender all-around player that you just build around to be the number one guy. Um, and so it, it's just kind of weird in terms of how they operate. Um, and, yeah, their future moving forward, I mean, their pick more than likely, like Orlando's going to stand to benefit from that for a player that is probably going to walk in free agency, you know, um, or be robbed back. But now you're paying for a guy who, while offensively skilled, and defensively has some foot issues, not foot injury, but just speed, and is only going to decline a little further on that end as he ages. So, like, their long-term direction I'm not really uh, on, on board with. And also, even to be completely honest with you, like, this whole idea of how they're currently constructed came in the midst of one crazy offseason. Like, we weren't looking at the Bulls, like, oh, wait, they're on the rise. It was like, no, okay, boom, DeRozan, boom. You know, Lonzo Ball, okay, Alex Caruso, he took out Levine. This looks good. And then, you know, Lonzo Ball gets injured and DeRozan and Levine don't match. So it's not even like when you say there was like a, a prerequisite here coming up where you're like, you know what? I really like what Chicago's doing. They just showed up and now they're showing out, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I have them. Gary, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I had um, I had Chicago 22. And actually, after listening to you guys, mm-hmm. I'm going to flip them in Orlando <laughs> and put Orlando at 22 and Chicago at 23. That just makes okay. more sense. Um, I like it. So yeah, it's right there. It's gotta be twenty-three Chicago. <laughs> yes, and it's actually funny that you um yeah that's that's it's it's funny that um you mentioned that. How did I? I must have just gotten greedy and talked so much, y'all, because I'm like we've already covered all of my like like twenty-one <laughs> teams, and I'm like I don't even remember just bringing them up. It just happened, but yeah, I like where that sandwich in. I just feel like again, just moving forward, I really wonder, and I know we're gonna have discussions probably later about the off season. Um, how Chicago, like, what is their plan? You know, because you already heard about the, the surgery that Lonzo Ball is going to take. And, and um, first and foremost, you just hope that Lonzo Ball's health. That's paramount to any of this basketball discussion. Otherwise, I think we all, I don't think, I know we all agree on that. So that's not even just on his own, finding peace away from the game in the midst of that, right? On the court, that's not going to be there for a second because with this Next operation having his knee, he'll miss all of next season as well. That's more than likely what's talked about, more than likely what the injury um, recovery of the surgery timetable looks like. So if that is the case, I mean, at that point, you're not even thinking about your Chicago. I mean, you're looking at, okay, like I would assume, you know, you bring Pat Beverly back for H35. Like, what do you do there? Are you trying to contend, right? Are you going to trade Levine? Is DeRozan available now? Are you bringing back Vooch? Because you don't have your pick, so you're not getting anything there. And that pick, honestly, looking pretty good because that's why Orlando stands to gain it now. So there's a whole lot there that 
is up in the air for Chicago. And because of that lack of direction, we've seen this before. We saw that with the end of guard pass, right? Like we saw that same type of thing. The three alphas. Who could forget? Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and 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 uh, Ross and Rondo, one of my favorite 2K teams, I might add. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, like we 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 we've seen this before. Uh, just kind of this uh, a better version of what the Wizards are doing. And by doing, yeah. I mean they're not doing anything. It's said it and forget it, but they haven't said it. They just forgot. Um, but with that, let's kind of go and, and wrap around to our last team we'll talk about uh, on the show, y'all. Let, let's go Garrett, and then we'll go Josh and close it out. Yeah, so I only have one team left in my bottom tier, and that's my number 21 team, and that is the New Orleans Pelicans. Okay, I like it. I like it. Interesting. Okay, uh, let's get well, let's get yours. Let's get Josh's, and then we'll kind of just talk about them both. All right, uh, my number 21 is uh, the Indiana Pacers. Oh, wow. This yeah, is... we differ a lot. And I love Halliburton, the but there are there are uh, some other issues with them, I, I feel. Let me just say this. Mm-hmm. The Pacers are in my top tier. Oh, wow. You must rate certain things much differently than I do. <laughs> you know what? That makes it interesting because they are literally almost squarely in the middle for me. Like, I love how, look at all three of us. Like, like I, I, there was no way, shape, or form I was going to have them in the top 10, Garrett, but I, I definitely appreciate your basketball knowledge and can't wait to hear your take. At the same time, they obviously weren't going to be the bottom either. And so when I was putting this here, I literally vacillated between 15 and 17. For the record, that's where I have them. We'll talk about that next show. Um, but it was really hard for me. I'm like, Indiana, ugh, like I can think of some good things. I can think of some not so many good things. So I feel like we should put a pin in that and talk about that next time. Because between the difference in you and Garrett on this pace of team, that'll be a better exploration. And then I can go into that. So let's talk about New Orleans. Because, and, and Garrett, I mean, you can kind of share where you have them or just what tier. You don't have to share the number. Um, we'll talk about that later. I have them literally they'd be, like maybe the very first team we talk about next show. Like that's how close the margin is. So I'm more aligned in, in with Garrett on that. I'm just curious where you have them. Uh, Hold on. I got to look. Mm-hmm. Perfect podcasting and radio right here. Hey, it is, <laughs> that's it I just scroll through. I have them in the middle third. Okay, cool. So yeah, well, let, let, we can kind of talk about, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's talk about Garrett, why you have them there. Um, and we'll kind of flesh it out, and we'll talk about why we have them, what we do on our next show. But I think this would be good, kind of close to our show, which is in true Garrett Corbin Josh form, almost going two hours here. Yeah, so I guess like with the coaching situation, Willie Green, he's kind of still in the early stages. He's still in a prove it to me sort of phase. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of. Uh, how he coached in that playoff series last year. There was that frustrating thing where he wouldn't play Jose Alvarado until the start of the second quarter every game for some reason. Um, but uh, he's he's kind of in the, the middle to lower portion of my, my coaching rankings. And then David Griffin is kind of in the same boat. He's made some great moves. He obviously got great value from the uh, from the, the trades of Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday to get them a stockpile of picks. But then there's been an issue with, uh, you know, not being able to get, I think, a center that actually fits next to Zion uh, with with Jonas Valanciunas and then drafting Jackson Hayes. Uh, there's just been a lot of a lot of weird stuff there. So he's kind of a mixed bag as a GM as well. 
the ownership situation I don't think is too great there either. So uh, that's that's kind of why I have them at 21. But yeah, right on the verge of the, the middle tier, obviously. You're muted, Corbin. Of course I am, classic. It happens once a show. I'm just glad I waited to the end this time. Um, I will mostly agree. I'm definitely a little higher on Willie Green. I think that he's had some coaching foibles, but like I think he has a team that plays hard. They've really committed on the defensive side of the ball in a way they definitely didn't understand Van Gundy. And yes, he had a different roster, so I think a certain element of that is there. But I also think he's unlocked more from Brandon Ingram than was locked before. How much has he put on player progression naturally and how much he put on coaching remains to be seen. I think he's found a way to make Jonas Valanciunas work alongside um, Zion, well, for as much as Zion has played. Um, and I really think at the end of the day that although he did take forever to kind of get on the Jose Alvarado train, you know, he's able to deploy that effectively in addition to some of his other pieces as well. And it's more of the emotional. I feel he's more of the uh, emotional type of coach in terms of rallying the locker room and that sort of thing than a pure X's and O's schematic type of guy. So maybe it's kind of weird to put to judge him on that skill for me. But I definitely like what he has done um, to a certain extent. Obviously, still made his rookie mistakes. Got thoroughly outcoached by Monty Williams. Um, well, yeah, let, also- me, let me just jump in here real quick. Just in, in reference to just the, the coaching in the league, I think that you could argue that coaching is at a higher level right now than it ever has been in the league. So, you know, putting a guy in the late teens or early 20s, in my mind, is calling him a pretty good coach. So that's, I guess I just wanted to to clarify that as well. Oh, yeah, and I didn't mean that at all. And I get what you're saying, totally. No, you said it right. It definitely will be. Um, but as far as the front office is concerned, yeah, I've, I've not been a fan of David Griffin, the way he's – I feel like the way you feel about the Lakers' front office lucking into some of what they have is how I feel about David Griffin with the Pelicans. I just feel like, okay, you got a good guy spot, you know, clear number one. You know, like you, you took, you had, you took it, you, it, it, as you both said, Anthony Davis wanted to come to LA. You made the best of the situation to reap the most draft picks from it. Although this trade swap, uh, this pick swap this year will be funny, as it looks like right now. Like that probably won't even happen. I think it's hilarious. But like in general, like you did reap the dividends of that. Um, but that was the only hand you really had to deal. You know what I mean? And so I feel like you have a young team on the rise, and you get to oversee that, and you haven't actually done a great job with that. Because you have been trying to fiddle with it and 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 kind of mix and match. We saw the Eric Bledsoe, you know, uh, Stephen Stephen Adams uh, experiment. We saw the two coaches in three years experiment. Like it, it's been a little different. So I, I knocked the front office a lot more. Um, also there was that weird thing about him playing the piano with Zion or whatever. Like there's some front office messiness that isn't quite messiness, but just enough that you're like, hmm. So I do have them there for that. Um, yeah, it's it's purely the GM for me. Uh, I think that. Coaching-wise, they're okay. And, like, scouting and development, that's actually a good question. Maybe I should look a little bit further. Nikhil Alexander-Walker has been okay, not with New Orleans per se. Um, Kira Lewis has been solid this year, but he's also been injured, so that's been kind of a knock. Uh, I think that, like, Trey Murphy, of course, has been really good. Herb Jones has been good, although offensively took the giant step backwards this year. Jose Alvarado. So they've been, like, kind of in the middle on that for me. Um, Dyson Daniels has been okay. Jackson Hayes, maybe not as much. So, yeah, looking at it like that, I feel like it all comes to the GM for me and, and the messiness. And it's not enough to have them, obviously, at the later tier, but just enough to have them right at that mark. They're the perfect barometer between success, but also there's some mickiness going on, but also, like, they're on the cusp of being a really solid team moving forward. 
Fair yeah, because they have enough. They have enough assets to fix any anything that they've screwed up. You know, that's that's the interesting part of it. Um, but yeah, it'll uh, we'll have to wait and see if they actually they actually could accomplish that. Absolutely. But listen, y'all, this has been a blast. We are seven minutes shy of two hours, uh, as I expected, nothing less. But I appreciate y'all uh, on later times, uh, both you, Josh, and even you later, Garrett, uh, taking the time here to go into this. This is fun. I love the disagreements we had, some passion debates. I expect nothing less between the three of us. So I'm very grateful for your time. Uh, listen, y'all, before we uh, end this one and take these folks home, uh, please share where folks can find y'all and y'all work and you know, all the good, all the good stuff. Well, the floor is yours, Josh. Oh. Uh, I'm, <laughs> Josh I'm is already. I know. I'm, <laughs> uh, all right, I'm sorry. Yeah, you were like, we're nearing the end, and I was already like, nap time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I could be found on Twitter at 2RedJEarl. Um, I also am a basketball career development coach. I help anybody who wants to be a coach, scout, analyst, uh, content creator, etc. in the basketball industry. Uh, I, I can help you get uh, to the point where you take that next step towards your dream career. Um, and you can find that stuff at myhoopscareer.com. Um, and beyond that, I am tired. Uh, we appreciate you taking the sacrifice, Josh. As, as, a, as, a, as a young father who's also being tasked with on his free time ranking the teams in great detail, thank you for your service, sir. Uh, Garrett, <laughs> let's get you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Garrett Bouguet and uh, just recently released my uh, movies of the year list for 2022, where I ranked my top 100 movies from best to or from worst to best. Uh, so check that out. I have that. Uh, I'll, I'll probably have to pin this after pin that uh, to to my Twitter profile after this episode. But uh, also um, Duncan Dynasty. There hasn't been a couple of episodes the last couple of weeks. That's my podcast. Um, but uh, I've already got the next episode on the docket of my buddy and uh, also former uh, sports business classroom alum Scott Levine is going to come on and we're going to talk Boston Celtics. So uh, look out for that in the middle of next week. Good old Scott. Missed the guy. I'm glad to hear that. Can't wait to check that out. Listen, y'all, this has been a blast. Y'all can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Same on Instagram if y'all are so inclined. Definitely appreciate that. Uh, you know, you get some good, fun retweets, a couple corny jokes, um, hopefully some uh, decent basketball discussion. That's what I love doing. Um, but, yeah, aside from that, also um, on the handle of Basketball Intelligence, you can check that out. Um, it's looking for conversation as well. Building community and following there. Always good stuff there. But listen, it's been late. I got to get these brothers home. For Josh, for Garrett, for myself, we are all frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and we will talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all.